Hey, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another one-on-one podcast. Very pleased to have with me today Jeff Smith, who's CMO at LiveRamp. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Kim. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate you having me in. That's a delight. Uh, you're over from San Francisco, and I, I know you, you've come to town with some news, which we'll be getting on to a bit later. Do, do you get over to New York much? I do. You know, so much of the media world is centered here. Um, you know, I probably spend at least one week a month out this direction, and um, I love visiting New York in the summer, uh, weather <laughs> and all, and San Francisco's kind of sitting under a heavy layer of fog at the moment. So. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know. Get out and enjoy the warmth, although today is a little warmer than usual. It's so. challenging today. <laughs> okay, um, LiveRamp is um, a company we've written about a number of times in the past, always hearing news about you. Um, let me say from my perspective, I associate LiveRamp with two particular offerings, and then you can correct me and tell me about the other stuff you do. I associate LiveRamp with onboarding customer data mm-hmm. for many partners, and I also associate you with Identity Link, which mm-hmm. is that very important step towards having a 360-degree view of the yep. customer. Would that be a roughly accurate description? Yeah, and with maybe the caveat that it, it's all identity link. Mm-hmm. Onboarding is usually the first step our customers take on that path toward building that 360-degree view. So and it, it, in some sense, it's a, it's a category itself at this point. Um, Forrester just wrote a paper around it. Other people uh-huh. have kind of talked about it, but you know, LiveRamp really popularized the concept several years ago of using data from the offline world to better target and measure in digital channels, right? which yeah. makes sense. Um, but as you think about kind of where you go beyond that, to your point on that path toward, that's great, but what I really want to understand is everything going on in the mind of the consumer there are two other directions data needs needs to move, um, not just from offline into the digital world, but across the digital world, and ultimately from the digital world back into the offline world. I would argue when you have those three things, you have omni-channel marketing, mm-hmm. and that's what Identity Link is focused on. Uh, that's really interesting, and this is part of the phenomenon we're seeing everywhere now, which is the blurring of distinctions between the physical and the digital worlds, because yeah. you, you don't want to treat your customers as if they're a different person, depending on which space they're in. No, you think about, like, you or I consuming media, we don't think about what channel we're in, so why do marketers have to think about channels? It's because there have been these artificial barriers created by technical limitations around what they can do moving data about you across those channels. So sometimes I like to talk about our vision or is a world without channels or a world in which channels only matter in the terms that they imply context, Mm -hmm. not because you can't carry your conversation with a consumer from a mobile device to a telesales call to a direct mail and back to a web browser experience. In a sense, we're almost looking beyond an omni-channel world, aren't we? Because... Uh, previously, and not really that long ago, it was about marketers saying, okay, here's another channel, here's another new channel, let's add it on. But now what people are really aiming to do is to have customer data available in such an accessible and flexible way that it really doesn't matter what the channel is. That's, that's exactly it. I mean, and to move away from a world, if, if you think about, you know, if you and I met and I walked up and I said, hi, Kim, my name's Jeff, great to meet you. And a week later, I saw you again, and I walked up and I said, Hi, Kim, my name's Jeff, great to meet you. And a yeah. week later, I did the same thing. 
that's going to be annoying for you at some point. But that's how people are marketing to consumers right now because they can't recognize them across the different channels they're marketing in. Okay. And just to, to go back to basics again, when we talk about onboarding data, mm-hmm. you know, the beginning of the, yeah. the journey towards the, the, a holistic view yeah. of the customer, what, what does that literally mean? Yeah, so probably the easiest way to think about that, and I'll talk about then kind of more advanced thinking around that, is you've got data in a CRM system. Every marketer does. That tells you something about the person who's either a customer or a prospect. Um, why aren't you using that data to engage with that person in digital channels, whether it's your display advertising, your search, your video, whatever it might be, it's because you haven't been able to make a connection between what's in your CRM system and it's the fact that it's Jeff on the end of the mobile device or behind the web browser or watching the connected TV. Um, So really kind of the most basic use case around onboarding data is taking data out of your CRM system Now, customers have taken it further. You have a lot of offline systems with consumer data, loyalty program systems, financial systems, customer service systems. That data can all be onboarded to add more context to how you engage with people in the digital world. The key being you need to recognize those people in the digital world. And, And that's really why onboarding has taken off to the degree it has, is people, marketers can bring more context to bear when they interact with the consumer. You break it down... In a very uh, clear way, you, there are all these sources of data. It's all very well onboarding them, but if you don't know if it's the same person in this data set and that data yeah. set, you're not getting anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, we, we've been marketing to basically approximations of people in the digital <laughs> world for 20 years now, and right. that being a cookie or a mobile ID or yeah. you know, name the flavor depending on the channel. Um, it was a must have been a very um, astute marketer at Facebook who first coined this term people-based marketing mm-hmm. back at Adweek in 2014. And you know what Facebook was touting correctly was that if you bring your advertising to me, I can actually help you reach the actual person. Yeah. Because I've got the largest identity graph in the world. And all an identity graph is, think of a giant pivot table in Excel that allows you to connect devices, people, and data. Mm-hmm. And that's all an identity graph is. There's no mystery in that word. Um, Google literally, literally came out after that and said, oh, by the way, I've got a huge identity graph also. Come to me, and I can help you reach real people, and look at all the dollars flowing into those two channels. Marketers, though, I mean, as much as they love Google and Facebook, they want to do that same thing across all their channels. Right. And that's what LiveRamp's been helping them do. That, that's, yeah, and of course, if we were talking about the B2B space, you've got LinkedIn playing yep. there. But okay. people are in other places, yeah. so... Yeah. That brings us very neatly to Identity Link, yeah. which is you know a central product for for LiveRamp. Um, what are the challenges when it comes to to tying these identities together? Yeah, so um, one of the big ones that we realized early on, although our business primarily started working with marketers, mm-hmm. helping them again kind of do what they do on Facebook and Google everywhere else was that they only got a part of the picture. And, and we kept, as we thought about how do we build out an identity graph that is, is the same magnitude as a Google or a Facebook, um, you know, we realized we had to really involve everyone in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the value chain, you've got the marketer, you've got the agency, you've got the technology platforms they use, you've got data providers who are feeding systems into their programs, and you have publishers who actually own the end touch point with the consumer. 
Um, so, you know, Identity Link is, you know, while well, it started as a solution for the marketer, um, we've expanded it now to technology partners, we've expanded it to data owners, um, and we're here in New York this week talking about the expansion of the solution to publishers. Right. And of course, what it allows these different audiences to do is ultimately support marketers' people-based marketing efforts, so there's value to them. But it also, every time we add an audience, it's additional value to the marketer, mm -hmm. who now has more pieces of the puzzle when it comes to deciphering those touch points and who that consumer is. Okay. Now, when it comes to the nuts and bolts of tying these identities together, are you looking at uh, cross-device identity? Are you you're looking, you're fitting uh, first-person first data together with... Other signals? How yeah. are you doing it? Yeah, so um, you can think of it as you start and you want to create uh, as robust a picture of the consumer as you can before you ever start your marketing, right? Mm -hmm. Applying as much context as you can. So it's about combining your first-party data from your offline systems. Again, often not just your CRM system, but all of your offline systems. First-party data from your digital systems, like your ad server. Uh, Third-party data... Uh, very popular also to the extent you can bring that in, resolve it to a person. And we're seeing more and more um, second-party data uh -huh, types really. of opportunities. Yeah. might be worth talking a little bit more about in a minute. But once you've created that viewpoint, you've, you've got a good understanding of the person. You then need to recognize them in a digital channel. Um, there are a lot of different identifiers that can be used to do that, but probably the easiest one to think through is an email address. Okay. So a lot of marketers um, will have an email address on file for you or I. Um, one way that um, Google, Facebook, or ourselves has built our identity graph is to collect connections between an email address and a set of cookies, or a mobile ID, or another digital divider, so we can make that link ultimately when we see that cookie, for example, and we know it's associated with this piece of personally identifiable information, we can now say, wow, that's, that's Jeff, you right. know, on the end of that web browser. That's a drastically simplified version of what has to happen. Um, another huge aspect of this is it all needs to be done in a privacy-compliant manner. Yeah. So all of this information is hashed and protected. Um, there's a lot more technical challenge than I just kind of touched on, but that's probably the easiest way to think about it. I think it's one of the biggest and most significant challenges in the marketing technology space, isn't it, tying these identities together? It is, and, and getting beyond kind of the basics, um, people like to talk about it as black and white, like, oh, it's, you know, and we, we ourselves talk about deterministic resolution, meaning we're using literally personally identifiable yeah. information to make the link versus a probabilistic approach where you're assuming something based on an IP address or something you see. Yes. But the truth is, even deterministic has kind of a range, right? If you think about all these signals out there that, you know, this person, this cookie might be the same person that is this cookie, might be the same person this is ID, and those signals have different strengths based on the data you're using. Mm -hmm. um, when people ask me where artificial intelligence might play into the marketing world, right. one place I think it could play a huge role that people aren't thinking about is evaluating all of these signals and the different relative strengths of the signals and helping us better understand when we tie those identifiers together and say it's a single person. And when we say, you know what, there's, there's not enough certainty there for us to really know. 
And, of course, uh, an AI system would then be teaching itself as it went yes. by its success or yeah. failure. Yeah. yeah, it's a fascinating prospect. But you mentioned second-party data. That's kind of the one people don't talk about. We talk about first-party and third-party. So. Until recently, yeah. it seems to be everywhere. I don't yeah. know if you saw Verizon's announcement um, about potentially partnering with T-Mobile and some of their competitors to, you know, and, and from their standpoint, to better take on Google yeah. and Facebook, you know. Um, and then you had... Virgin and Sky Media making the announcement in the UK, second party data arrangement, you know, um, and, and these are only the two public because we enable a lot of that work. I'm aware right. of several initiatives that are not public okay. where, where people are understanding if they don't band together, yeah. um, and it, it's not just Google and Facebook. If you think about what the retail world faces with Amazon, yes, there's a lot of talk going on in the retail world about how can people pool their knowledge to survive in the world of Amazon. Yeah. Um, so while it's um, not something I've heard as much about in the past, it seems to be something that's becoming a lot more prevalent now. It does seem to be a trend because I've also spoken to some of the, some of the larger marketing tech vendors who are launching permission-based schemes for their clients to pool data yep. in an anonymized way because it basically benefits everyone. It does, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay, so the... Thing we you touched on briefly, I wanted to dive into in a little bit more depth is identity link for publishers, yeah. which you just announced yesterday. What's the benefit for publishers there? Yeah, so you know, um, publishers are feeling this pressure we just talked about, um, and you know, it used to be as a publisher, if you produced premium content and you provided an interesting context, that's all you needed to attract ad dollars, right? Mm -hmm. That's how you competed in. I've been in this industry long enough, I remember that. I remember selling advertising, yeah. and that's all it took, is my site has great content, thus we attract a great audience. Um, you know, and content evolved to context and content. And then, you know, going back to, to 2014, when Facebook introduced this people-based term, it kind of changed that dynamic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to the extent that contact and context, if you couldn't provide these people-based capabilities, were not as important you know, as they ultimately used to be. Okay. Um, so what this really does for publishers in allowing them to offer the same people-based capabilities that Facebook and Google do, and, and just to make that like really clear, um, a marketer shows up with a file out of their CRM system and hands it to Facebook or Google, and Facebook or Google can say, yeah, I can help you find those across my properties. Yeah. Publishers haven't been able to do that. Now that they can do that, um, my take is that content and context will be, again, begin to matter for them and be a way they can differentiate what they're offering. But it's like they almost, they, they, they didn't have the price of entry yeah. before they could offer the people-based capabilities. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one aspect of it, but it, it just really doesn't go to capturing media dollars either. Publishers have a lot of interesting data, right? Yes, they can yes. help marketers better contextualize their interactions with consumers. But if this data cannot be tied into this people-based marketing ecosystem, it, it's only worth so much. Yes. Um, so, you know, we have publishers who, you know, they, they can focus on one either or the both. They can focus on the media opportunity. We have publishers who are just using Identity Link to connect what they know about people into these people-based budgets and capture those budgets. So, and some who are doing both. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we talked about the weather company and the release who's focused on the kind of data angle. We talked about Time and Hearst, who are focused on the attracting the media dollars angle, and, and we've got other folks who are doing both. You mentioned um, 
couple of customers there. Just to close out, give us a sense. Well, let me let me put the question in a slightly different way. I, I'm aware LiveRamp actually partners with a lot of vendors, so a vendor will include LiveRamp's capabilities with their yeah. own solution, but also, of course, you're you're offering your products directly to to clients. So, what, what kind of clients are you looking at globally? Yeah. So, interesting distinction on that point you just made. Um, LiveRamp doesn't have its own black box uh-huh. DSP or DMP. And one way to think about it is we don't have a product unless we have a partner. I see. Because yeah. you think about the old Intel inside, right? Yep. That That's LiveRamp. We're a service that works inside the technology platforms used by our customers that turns them into kind of people-based channels. Okay. Um, so we're always working in the context of a partner, regardless of the audience we're working with. Um, coming to your, your latter question, again, we, we started out, you know, our, our biggest footprint is in the world of the marketer, mm-hmm. right? Helping them kind of duplicate what they do on Google and Facebook and other channels. Um, by the very nature of the fact we don't have a product unless it's working inside a partner system, okay. that's our next biggest segment of customers or those technology platforms. There's over 500 of them at this point right. who are using our identifier to offer people-based marketing to agencies and marketers. Um, the publisher audience is, is you know, obviously a fairly new one for us, although we've already got a couple hundred publishers who are using this. Um, the data owners, um, you know, what's interesting on the data owner segment is we've got kind of what I call the um, kind of the old school, have been selling data for a long time, classic types of data sets, demographics, income, etc. But what's interesting to me there is we're moving into this world where almost anyone can be a data provider. Anyone <laughs> right. with a touch point around a consumer yeah. potentially has data of interest to a marketer. So again, the weather company is a good example of that, right? Um, yeah. You know, If you knew a cold snap was about to hit Chicago and you were a coffee company, would you want to run a promotion there? Maybe. Yes. Um, so that's an interesting category that's, that's building out for us. Not so much, you know, there's only so many of those kind of traditional data providers, but we've got this whole new generation of people who say, I have really interesting data, um, a Live Nation or a Yelp, yeah. you know, who are, who, you know, marketers have an interest in it. Um, and, you know, so that, that's kind of how the customer set breaks out. Who knew there was so much data in the world? Nowadays, you look at you just see it everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which means a very interesting future for LiveRam. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think if um, you put aside, you know, kind of the specific thing we sell on a day-to-day basis and you think about LiveRamp is just a connector yeah. that ties people to data to devices. Um, I got to say one of the most interesting things that we end up doing are things we never thought of. Our customers start with that basic onboarding use case. Yeah. They start to figure out they've got this thing that connects those three elements and they invent use cases and applications that we would have never thought of. So that's, that's probably what's most interesting to me is um, when I came on board here, was digging in with some of those customers who yeah. came up with something you'll not find on a PowerPoint we have anywhere. <laughs> but they're like, wow, if I could connect people, data, and devices, I can do some really interesting things. Very rich. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us and sharing with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me in again. And everyone look out for the next one-on-one podcast.